Praise God. All right, if you would gather around for our morning message. Praise God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew, the 11th chapter. I walk in the door this morning and several people said, welcome home, stranger. I walk on the platform and Sister Sue tells me that and she's gone out. Well, I only miss one service. That's Thursday night. But it's good to be back. It is indeed good to be back. We're deviating from what we have been talking about here in the past few weeks, and that is the the born-again experience or the fundamental doctrine that's proclaimed in the Bible. And I read from you, to you rather, from Matthew the 11th chapter, verse 28, the words of Jesus. Now this is a new message that Jesus is giving to the people. Come unto me, all of you that labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? I will give you rest. It does appear that in all ages that there has been pressure put upon people to the extent that they sometimes cannot bear it. Uh, The human being is different from all of the other creatures that God created. For the human being is the only creature that God has made with the ability or the power to reason. Now many animals seem to be very, very intelligent. But many animals do what they do because of instinct. It is just bred into their nature to do some of the things they do. And while they may appear to be fairly intelligent, you will find that all of the subjects of their species react the same in many cases. It's just bred into them to be that way. But with the ability to reason and the power to choose also comes many problems. And that's what we are faced with as human beings. We have a lesson that we teach in our discipleship course, and it deals with responsibility and liberty. To whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Jesus spoke of this. So liberty and responsibility go hand in hand. The more responsibility that's placed upon you and you bearing that responsibility, with it comes additional liberties. But at the same time, there also comes a lot of pressure. And some of you live in an environment where there are many, many, many pressures. Now, you could get away from all that if you so desired. I'm sure there would be some remote island someplace that you could move to and get away from all of that. And several of you have recently talked to me about the pressures that you are feeling, the men as the principal breadwinner of the home, the women. We have a good number of single parents in our church, women who have children, and the responsibility of training those children. Uh, Several people who have had some medical problems and they have encountered financial difficulties as a result of it. There are all kinds of pressures that come to you. But there is a rest that you can find in the Spirit. And this is what I want to talk to you about. And of course your basic 
philosophy relative to the scripture simply means that you're you're it's talking about the attitude that you have relative to what has been given to you now we know that Jesus promised rest Isaiah in the 28th chapter of his prophecy verse 11 and 12 he said for line must be upon line and precept must be upon precept line upon line and precept upon precept here a little and there a little doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people but then he goes on to say for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people to whom he said this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary, weary to rest and this is the refreshing yet they would not hear so the Bible way back 600 years before the Holy Ghost ever fell prophesied of a rest that would come but it also prophesied that it would be hard for some people to accept this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest and this is a refreshing yet they would not hear now that simply means they wouldn't receive it it's there but they won't receive it see they just they just don't seem to possess the ability to accept what God has for them. In Acts the third chapter verse 19, Peter speaks of the Holy Ghost. He said, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You ever felt like you needed about a three days nap. Have you ever felt that way? Like if I could just go to bed for three days. And sometimes you feel if I could just get a good night's rest. And there is such a thing as sleeping and not resting. Because there have been many times, I don't know why, I, I guess maybe I was just, you know, wound up too tight or something. I don't, I get things on my mind. And I'd go to sleep, but about every hour I'd wake up. Have you had one of those horrible nights where, you know, you, you, you didn't feel good and you wanted to make, you wanted just to make every moment count. And for some reason, in your subconscious mind, it was like maybe you felt that you were going to oversleep in the morning or something and you, you'd wake up and look at the clock. I've done that. I'd wake up and look at the clock. I'd wake up and look at the clock. You know, I'd say, well, look, I've got to go to sleep. For sure, I'm not going to have a problem oversleeping. You know, so you you just look at the clock and you look at the clock. In the morning when you get up, you say, wow, if I could just start where I left off last evening because I felt better then than I do now. See, as sure as some people can sleep all night and not get rest, some people can know God and not get rest. Some people can receive the Holy Ghost, the very promise of that which offers rest, and not receive that rest. See, while it is important that you close your eyes and go to sleep, I don't know how long a person can stay awake. But I've known, of, I've heard of people through taking some type of pills or something, they'd stay awake for days. It is a natural thing for people to sleep. See, it's designed by God to give you rest. But just as sure as God wants you to have the natural rest, He also has a plan to give you spiritual rest. Now with spiritual rest comes also a natural rest because if your mind's at peace, you can just sleep better. And when your emotions, you know, when your emotions uh, are right, then, then everything's going to be right. You know, somebody asked me one time, said, uh, uh, why did God give us feet? Well, it was a corny little joke, you know. I said, well, I, I, I don't know. He said, so we wouldn't have frayed legs. 
In other words, if you didn't have feet, you'd have to be walking on your legs, and that would be bad, see. And, and, and you say, well, what's that got to do? Well, you see, when you walk in the Spirit, God gives you the Holy Ghost so your nerves don't wear out on the tips. See? See, some people, some people walk in the Spirit all tied up in knots. And they don't understand that the Holy Ghost can go right out to the nerve tips and, and create a healing. No. And, and you see, the, the physical, it's impossible to separate the physical from the spiritual. You can't do that. The Scripture doesn't do it. We do it sometimes. And the biggest problem that we have is that, that we, we have been schooled in America especially in America, to believe in a false dualism. We separate the secular from the sacred. See, our government says separation of church and state. Secular from the sacred. And consequently, people come into church, and they are spiritual for that one hour they're in service. When they walk back out on the sidewalk and they head down the street, then they got their their secular life now to live, their 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 physical life. But you you cannot separate the spiritual from the physical, according to scripture. And if you try to separate it, you're gonna have problems. I mean super duper problems, gigantic, monumental empire state building type problems. But you really will. Well, another example of this, look in the book of Proverbs, and the Bible says that the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. And isn't it true that if you go into the hospital and you have an incurable disease and you're just hanging on, that the doctors will inform the family that's at the bedside, keep the morale of the patient high. Because when they lose the will to live, they die. Isn't that true? You see that happening all the time. I've been told that by several doctors because I've been in the hospital rooms with dying people. And I've had to go and comfort the families and the doctors inform ministers that, that your responsibility to the family is to encourage them so they will encourage the patient. Because if the patient gets down in the dumps, the patient will die. You do just think the heart would keep on beating whether you cared whether it beats or not because it's an involuntary muscle. It simply means that it it reacts without you thinking. You have voluntary muscles and involuntary muscles. You stick your finger to a heater or to a stove or any fire, and, and, and before you even think, your hand has been quickly withdrawn from the situation. That's an involuntary muscle. See? Or it reacts involuntarily. And so as a result, so as a result, you see, the spirit of a man will help control some involuntary things. But once you lose that, that spirit, what happens? Well, for, for an example, let me ask you this. Have you ever been in the bed real sick and all of a sudden you got to wondering if you were sick or not? Has it ever happened to you? You see, because the mind, see, gets ahead of the body. And all of a sudden you get super ambitious to get up. You've been in bed with a flu now for three days. And, and you get to thinking, now am I really as sick as, am I just kind of playing hooky from work? Has it ever happened to you? Am, am I 
Am I being derelict in my responsibilities? Now that's, that's happened probably to everybody. And then all of a sudden you just get to thinking, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go get dressed. I'm going to take a hot shower. I'm going to get dressed. And I'm going to do some work here. I feel super, super good. Well, you find out on your way to the bathroom that you are sick because you catch yourself fainting and falling against the wall. And after the noble assistance of your spouse to accompany you back to your resting place, you realize, hey, you know, I'm getting ahead in my thinking. But you, get, you have to stay ahead to some degree because you can actually make yourself sick by thinking. You really can. Oh, I remember many days in which I was sick in bed. I, my, my voice was hoarse. I had a headache. And when, when the school bus passed, there was instant healing. I, I really mean that. I, my mother even looked at me and said, Son, you look pale. You better go back to bed. Oh, Mother, I do. But listen, when the bus passed, I, there was instant healing. I'm serious with you. And I felt good the rest of the day. And isn't there days in which you just dread going to work? Have you ever done this? And you knew that, that they could make it okay without you? And then you just you were just super duper sick until about nine thirty. And you got that sudden splurge or surge rather of energy. And and you know, and and you, you go out someplace, you know, and you just feel like, wow. You know, I'm, I'm right now. I feel like a million dollars. So the mind controls a lot of things. Now we're not trying to tell you that you can receive rest without God. But inasmuch as we know that these things happen to people, it, it is possible to get God and not get what you need from God. Now in Acts, not Acts, but in the book of Matthew, the twentieth chapter, and and here is a. A scripture that Jesus talked about that's so very, very important. <clears throat> In Matthew, the 20th chapter, verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto me, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand of thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We are able. Now, what I think what Jesus is really saying here is, you see, when you, when you are baptized with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you take on Jesus Christ. We just talked to you about baptism and a birth in the Spirit. You take on His Spirit. You also wear His name, according to Galatians 3.27. You put on Christ in baptism. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you take on His Spirit. But you see, I think what Jesus is saying when He speaks of the cup, the cup seems to be symbolical of the, the vessel that holds He's talking about not just the vessel, but he's talking about the contents of that. In other words, when you take on Jesus Christ, you take on everything that's in that spirit. See, that's what he's talking about. See, to a lot of people, the Holy Ghost is a thriller. I mean, it's a super-duper thing. Puts you on cloud nine. You know, to some people, the Holy Ghost is more physical than it is anything else because they like what they feel. And they talk about what they feel. But the greatest work of the Holy Ghost, you can not feel it because it takes place in the heart. Now, please understand, if you get the genuine Holy Ghost, you're going to feel it. But you see, there's more to it than that. But because some people just, they, they like what they feel. You ever felt like that, that, that you know, your skin was kind of 
you know, you get goosebumps on top of goosebumps. See? The hair stands up on your back if you have hair on your back. You know? <laughs> you know, you just, Ugh! you know, you just feel like a surge of electricity went through you. Now, that's the Holy Ghost to some people. And the thing about it is that's all there is to it, to some people. But you see, if you turn to Galatians, the, the fifth chapter, <clears throat> the Bible speaks of the Spirit. It speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. Now, that means, simply means when you take on the Spirit, this is what you're getting. Now, listen carefully. Verse 22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Now, that's what you're getting. And some people says, well, if this be true... Uh, how come I don't have any patience? Well, that's what we're talking to you about. We're trying to answer your question this morning. Because you see, you believe certain things about God, but certain things you don't. And see what Jesus was saying, you see, <clears throat> Jesus was saying, oh yeah, your two sons may sit with me if they're willing to drink of the contents of the cup. See, but you see what what happens? Some people they, they look in there and say, "Oh, now let's see. I'd like uh, to be gentle. I believe I'll tell you what I'll do." You ever seen people order soup and pick out everything in it? <laughs> I remember one time. <laughs> My son Steve. Is Steve here? He's not here in this class, this one. I remember one time we went in a place and everybody was ordering oyster stew. And he was just a little lad and he said, I'll take oyster stew. And he got, he, he remembered he didn't like oysters. He says, I'll take oyster stew. He said, Well, by the way, without the oysters. <laughs> and you see, <laughs> Some people are that way. Give me the Holy Ghost, but. Boy, I tell you, I'm kind of short on patience. I don't know about long-suffering, you know. I don't know if I can suffer long with people. And temperance. Every now and then I get bent out of shape and lose my temper and everything. Now, temperance here and temper, you may say there's no connection. Yes, there is. Sure. Do you know, you know where the word temper really comes from? It actually comes from a meaning or from a phrase or a word that carries a connotation of a piece of metal that is heat treated or tempered. You know, you can take a piece of metal if it has the right contents in it, so much carbon and, and, and so forth and so on, and you can get it to a certain degree and you can drop it in water or oil and it gets real hard. And then you can take that same piece, that's the way they make springs and things. And you can bend it when it's real hard and it always goes back to its original shape. Have you ever heard people say, I got all bent out of shape today? See, that's what we're talking about. See? So you get bent all out of shape today. And I've heard people say, boy, I'll tell you one thing, I snapped. That means too much pressure put on you. And the old metal or the character couldn't take it. So you snapped. That means you, you flew off in all directions. You know, like the man who got so frustrated, he jumped on his horse and rode off in all directions. If you can imagine that. <laughs> see, this, this is what we're talking about, see. And you can take that tempered metal and you can anneal it. Now, the annealing process takes place by just putting the same heat on it that was tempered, but you don't dip it in the solution to quickly cool it. Now, the Holy Ghost not only heats you up, friend, it cools you off. 
I just remember that. <laughs> Anybody got any trouble with temper? <laughs> now, what Jesus was saying is, hey, you want to sit with me in my throne? Then you drink of this cup. In other words, don't take from me what you like and leave what you don't like. You know, it's like a parent who... gives the child a well-balanced plate. And the child then picks through everything and gets this. You know, there are very few foods, there are very few edible things on this planet Earth that I can't eat. Now, some things were not meant to be eaten. <laughs> you know, really, octopus and rattlesnakes and things like that. Now, they were not meant to be eaten. But you know the reason why that I like most foods? Because my mother would put a well-balanced plate there and she says, Now, you eat this. And so as a result, I, I learned to like a lot of things that, that, that a lot of people just plain don't like. Because I ate the whole plate. Or what was on the plate. <laughs> <laughs> And you need to drink the whole cup. See, that's what he's saying. So when you take on Jesus Christ, you not only take on a spirit that makes you feel sensational, you take on everything that God was or is. See, that's what he's saying. I mean, you actually take this on. And that's very, very encouraging. Now, I pointed this out to you in the Scripture. You know, <clears throat> like, like God is love. And when you read 1 Corinthians 13 and you insert the name Jesus there where love is, you can, qu you can quickly see God in that. See? Love is kind. Was Jesus kind? Let's just turn there. I, I've done this before with the congregation. So we're not we're not just trying to cover a lot of things for the sake of covering them, but but on the other hand, to start reading verse four in your King James version, the word charity is found. It actually means love, which is a copy love. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never fails. Now John says in his first epistle that Jesus Christ is God is love. Well the character of God, one of one of the characteristics of God is love. Is that true? We just read that out of Galatians five. So let's put the word Jesus in there. Verse four. Jesus suffereth long. Jesus is kind. Jesus envieth not. Jesus vaunteth not himself. Jesus was not puffed up. Jesus did not behave himself unseemly. Jesus sought not his own. He was not easily provoked. Jesus thought no evil. Jesus rejoiced not, rejoiceth, rejoiced not in iniquity. But Jesus rejoiced in the truth. Jesus bore all things. Jesus believed all things. Jesus hoped in all things. Jesus endured all things. Jesus never failed. Now, does that sound like Jesus? <clears throat> now, why can you put Jesus there? Because God is love. That's what he is. Now, if you want to know just how close you parallel to God, put your own name there. John suffers long. John is kind. John envieth not. John vaunteth not himself. John is not puffed up. Doesn't that sound just like Pastor Grant? <laughs> now don't laugh. Put your own name there. Does that sound like you? <laughs> it's a spitting image of my brothers. Isn't that something? John rejoices not in iniquity. But John rejoices in truth. John bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes in all things. He endures all things. John never fails. See, I've got a long ways to go to be like Jesus. 
So what you have to do, you've got to keep drinking, you see, and keep drinking and keep drinking. You see, God is love. And I have the fullness of God when I receive the Spirit. But you see, the purpose is that I keep drinking from this of the fountain, see. And the more I drink, the more I get. See, see, man was not meant to be a reservoir to hold, but a channel by which the Spirit flows. And the Christian cannot help but to give out what he takes in. You're going to do it. You're going to give out what you take in. And the only way you can stay full is keep taking it in because you're giving it out all the time. True? See, it just works that way. So if you don't, if you're not taking in of the Spirit and you're giving out all the time, what's going to happen? You're going to run out of the supply. So every now and then you find a Christian who will not pray, will not seek God, will not depend on God, and yet they want to be kind, and what happens? They become hypocritical because you can't paste on a smile. Have you ever seen some people, you know, you're around them, they just act flaky or something, you know, just, oh, Jesus is so good. You know, they paste on a smile, and for some reason, when you leave them, you know, you, you just feel like, Oh, something's not quite right. Not that you're trying to pass judgment or anything, but you just, you know, the Bible teaches us to try the spirits to, to see if they be of God. And while they're saying the right thing, they're just it's just not right there. Now, this is what Paul was saying. How did he start this out in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, Though I give my body to be burned and hath not charity, it profiteth me nothing. It becomes as a sound of brass and a tinkling cymbal. In other words, it doesn't have the quite the right ring to it. Something's not right. See? Now, Jesus Christ, when he comes, he gives you that peace. See, you can't separate peace from rest. You can't separate that in the scripture. Now, let me just say this, however. You see, <clears throat> for every real thing, there is a substitute. There is a definite substitute in the forces of evil. Now, please remember that. Now, let me just give you an example. You remember, you remember when, when Moses was called of God by the burning bush? Now, God gave Moses two signs by which he would believe that, that he was truly called. He was to take his hand and he was to thrust it in his bosom. So he, he slid his hand under his garment and when he pulled it out, his hand was leprous. Then God told him to put his hand back in and he did. He pulled it back out and it was clinging. Now what God was saying is that, that I can take an evil force and I can, I can deliver it. On the other hand, I also have the ability to take a clean force and turn it over the powers of darkness so that it becomes a corrupt. You see, the Bible says the steps of a good man are directed to the Lord. God picks up one man and puts down another. Why does he do that? According to the attitude of the individual. See, that's God uses wisdom when he makes a choice. And then he was to take the staff that was in his hand and he threw the thing down. And he became a serpent. And the Lord told him, says, now pick it up. Now Moses goes, goes tiptoeing over there and gets that thing by the tail. I'm sure that's the way he did it. And it became a staff again. Now, when Moses got before Pharaoh, he remembered that little trick. If we can use the word trick. So Moses said to Pharaoh, 
God sent me here to deliver the children of Israel. And Moses just said, well, what kind of a, by, by what authority or what sign do you have that God has sent you? He took the staff that was in his hand and he threw it down and it became a serpent. Well, Pharaoh says, there's no big deal there. He come over here, boys. And out of the back room came all of his prophets. And they each had a staff in their hand. He says, hey, throw those things down. And what happened? They became serpents also. Now, Moses received his from God. Do you think these evil ones received that from God? You see, Jesus explains this in John, the 14th chapter, verse 27. He said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Now, what he's saying is, oh, yes, in the last days, see, there will be a real movement of peace. But, but you see, you, you don't get peace by putting daisies on your van. You know, you see some of these vans going up down the freeway with daisies on them, and they got peace, love, and all. That's not how you get it. I mean, do you? Is that how you get peace? Isn't that what Jesus was saying? Not as the world gives it. And you see, the guy who, who puts the big daisies on his van and everything in peace, and, and he gets inside and he puts on, puts on this big smile and he goes down the freeway, you know. He's really living. No, he's not living. He thinks he's living. You see, what's going to happen here, that, that, that it won't be long, friend, until all of that dissipates. It's going to leave him. And then he's going to say, what is happiness after all? And then the world came up. Isn't it something that right after the big peace boom and movement, the world came up with this slogan, happiness is? And everybody came up with what happiness was? You know, it kind of leads you to believe that somebody must have missed the mark on peace. See? In the last days they shall cry, peace, peace, then sudden destruction. Now the reason why that there cannot be a substitute, a lasting substitute for peace, is because the whole program of the enemy is designed to destroy. And all he does is just kind of bait your hook, so to speak, with some little trinklet that will give you a thrill that lasts only until you get in trouble. And it's gone. That's it. I mean, it's gone. And it always leaves you when trouble approaches. It'll last until trouble comes. Why? Because you see... In the powers of darkness, there is no plan to see you through trouble. The truth of the matter is, the whole program is designed to get you in trouble. See, the thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. That's the program of the enemy. See, the good thing, though, about Pharaoh... Uh, Pharaoh, I say the good thing about Pharaoh, the good thing about Moses' serpent, Moses' serpent quickly approached, offensively approached, that whatever you're using as a substitute for something that genuinely comes from God, God wants to take the real thing and swallow up that thing. I don't care what you're doing. God wants to swallow up that substitute the thing that did not come from him, and he wants to offer the real thing, the real thing.
the real thing. And the world seems to have an appreciation for the real thing, but, but they always miss the mark. You go down to the local supermarket. You go into the dairy products, and they have a, a seal that they put on the real thing. See, they're interested in you taking in the real thing. Why? Because some of the substitutes may taste like, may look like, the texture may be the same, but it does not have in it what you need for your body. See, the basic four foods that you learn way back in biology back in 1945 and 1955 and 1965 and 1975 and 1985 is needed in your system. You Years ago, I can truthfully say, you know, that that I have tried, and I try every day to take in some dairy products. I'm at the real thing. And I don't know when my teeth will start decaying, but I can stand here and tell you that all my life, my parents told me this was true. And I can stand here to tell you that I have a mouthful of teeth with no cavities. And I've only been to the dentist about, well, actually about twice in my life. So I don't know what toothache's all about. But you see, just as sure as you need the real thing in dairy products, friend, you need the real thing in the spirit world. Because the real thing will keep away pain. I mean, it really will keep away pain. See, it was said of Moses... Moses would suffer the afflictions of of the flesh or of uh, the afflictions that Pharaoh and, and his kingdom would, would put upon him rather than enjoy sin for a season. Now, you know, Moses could have Moses could have lived in Pharaoh's palace because he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now you're talking about living. He could have lived. But you see, something inside of Moses said, no, this isn't right. That won't last very long. And even though I may suffer, physically suffer, I may have to live out in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses found something there that took him all the way to the promised land. And I know some people say, well, he never went into the promised land. I disagree, he did. You may say, oh, I thought he was stopped on Mount Nebo and his body was lost. That's true. But the reason why I say he went in the promised land, you remember this morning what I said about the tabernacles? It was right outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah. He may not have made it fleshly, but my friend, God gave him the whole world. He made a cross. And you see, you've got to get your eyes on the real thing. I meant the real thing. You've got to think about the real thing. Now Jesus said in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In Matthew 25, Matthew 6, pardon me, verse 25, Jesus said, Take no thought of tomorrow. He's talking about raiment and everything. Now what he was really saying is don't be anxious, excited, or to the point of worrying. You know, there, there, there are some people that they seem not to be happy unless, they're, unless they have a problem. They're going to find something to worry about. Jesus doesn't want you all tied up in knots. Now, <clears throat> Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 6 and seven, Let's, and I want you to turn there and read these scriptures. Philippians four, 
verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. Now, be careful for nothing doesn't mean to live a careless life. Be careful for nothing seems, I say seems to me, it actually means don't be tied up in knots worrying about tomorrow. Especially over things you cannot affect. What did Jesus say? When you stand before the kings and the magistrates, take no thought of what you will say. Why? Because what he's saying is, it's going to have to be a divine intervention for you. See, if I'm ever taken to court because of my Christianity, I certainly hope there's enough evidence to convict me. I'm talking about for my Christianity. See, Paul says, if a man suffer, let him suffer for Christ's sake. See, a lot of Christians, they go about like Jesus went about, but they don't go about doing good like Jesus went about doing good. They just go about. So they're getting all kinds of problems. But if you're taken to the court, see, and they say, you've been preaching Jesus, don't worry about that. Because it's going to take a miracle to get you out of it anyway. That's what he's saying. Why? Because there will be enough evidence to convict you. So it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take doors opening. It's going to take earthquakes. It's going to take something. Because there will be enough conviction, enough evidence to convict you. See? So when he says, be careful for nothing, that means don't be tied up in knots, worrying about everything that you cannot affect. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request. In other words, what he's saying is, when you go to God and pray, don't go to God all tied up in knots. Because if you could meet the demands, you wouldn't even have to pray. But you're there making supplication because you cannot deliver yourself. Because you cannot vindicate yourself. Because you do not possess the power or the ability to get out of the trouble that you're in. So, when you go, what do you do? You say, here I am, Lord. I can't do anything about this. Now, we're talking about rest. I just, I, I just hate the situation where, where Christians are just tied. Oh, what am I going to do? I don't know. I don't know what in the world. I, I just, oh, I don't know. Now, notice verse 7. Now, when you do this, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart. There's going to be a flood of First Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast all of our cares upon him, for he careth for us. Now, in closing, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis. <clears throat> I just discovered something in the scripture, at least, you know, every now and then you read things in the scripture and, and it just is so great. And this is so simple, but yet so great. On the first day, what did God do? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and he called the darkness night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. What did he do on the first day? God created what did he create? He created light and separated that. Well, I say he created light. There was light already. But he separated the light from the darkness. It was a separation. God is light, see. Now, where were you? Where was mankind when he did this? 
still locked up in the plan of God. He wasn't created yet, was he? So he didn't need you to do the miracle. Now Job is reminded in Job 38 about all these things when Job looked at his horrible condition. Here he's got these boils all over him. Everything he had's gone. He gets a little discouraged and God reminds him, wait now, let, let me, let's go through this. You see, God was going through this with Job to offer the encouragement that Job needs. Where were you, Job? Wasn't there, Lord. Now, verse 8 says, And God called the firmament of heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. What happened? God created an atmosphere and such. He divided the waters. Was mankind there? No, he didn't need the help, did he, of man? The Bible says, And God said, And then on the third day, what happened? He planted the trees and the grass. Did he need man's help to do that? No, he didn't. On the fourth day, what happened? He created the sun and he created the moon. So when he caused day and night and times and seasons, did he need you? No. And then on the fifth day, what happened? On the fifth day. He created the waterfowls, the fish of the sea, and such. Was mankind around when he did that? No. On the sixth day, what did he do? He created the creeping things, cattle, beasts, and such. Now, at the very end of the sixth day, he created man. And right after he created man, God took a rest. Now this is what I want to point out. And this is what God was pointing out to Job. And this is also what the New Testament teaches. Man's first day on the planet earth was spent as a day of rest. His very first day on the earth was spent when God was resting. And God intended for man to rest with him. Now, <clears throat> we say, well, I work real hard today, I need rest. I think the Bible says you need rest so you can work hard tomorrow. Not much difference, but there is a difference. You see, according to the calendar we've been given us, we have the day and then we have the night. The Jews didn't do that. They had the evening and the morning. Where did they get it? From the creative days. Isn't that right? So the Jewish day starts at 6 o'clock. And so they have their evening first. Isn't that right? And then they have their daylight hours. In other words, you rest first. Why do you rest? You rest because of the work. You don't work to get the rest. See? I think that there is something real important here. You see, in, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us, Hebrews 10 and 1, that all those things were a shadow of things to come. God intentionally put it that way. You see, the, the Sabbath day was a type and a shadow of the Holy Spirit. And your first day in your new life with God started with rest. The Holy Ghost. You know, every now and then you'll you'll find some people that say, "Man, I was on cloud nine all the next day." Did they stay on cloud nine? No, they encountered problems. But you see, what God's saying in this is, "I created everything without your help, and when I made you, the first thing I did, I allowed you to spend your first day doing 
nothing. Resting. And so every now and then problems come my way. And I can't do anything about it. And God is saying, take no thought of that. You just have to let your prayers and your supplications be known unto me. And when you walk away, walk away with full confidence. Why? If you could do something about it, you wouldn't be praying. But you can't. But you can't do a thing about it. But there's no need of praying about something. You know, if you, you know, if I if I need a hole dug out there in, in, in the yard and there's a shovel there, I can pray and pray and pray. If there's a shovel there, God says, get the shovel, lazy bones, and get out there and dig it. See, some things you don't pray about. You just go do. But there's some things, you, listen, you cannot change. And you need the rest that only God can give. Praise God. Would you stand with me? Praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't it great to know that we are serving a God, indeed serving a God, that can do all things? For that which is impossible with man is possible with God. Praise God. What do you need from God today? You need something that that obviously you cannot have. If you're looking from the physical standpoint, in other words, you can't touch it with your hands, you can't affect it, you can't you just can't get it. You need to put your confidence in God. You need to rest in Him. Jesus doesn't want you to live all your life tied up in knots, worrying about every little thing. He wants you to come into a rest. Praise God. There is a river that flows from deep within. There is a fountain that cleanses from all sin. Come to the waters. How does that go, Sister Grant? I want Sister Grant to sing this. Do you know the words of it? Listen to the words of it very carefully. sing it again and we do want to sing it again I would like for some of you who are facing a dilemma you don't know which way to turn and some of you are forget about your pride forget about everything else and step right out and just come right down to the front maybe nobody even pray with you but this will denote your faith in God that I'm believing that God is going to take everything in his hand And he's going to help me. Praise God. Let's sing it. There is a river That flows from deep 
that cleanses from all sin. Come to the waters. There is a vast supply. Why don't you come on right now? There's still room right down here to pray. There's room on the front seat. Just your stepping out will break the ice, so to speak. You will start believing and having faith in God. Why don't you step out right now? If you need to repent of your sins, Jesus Christ will forgive you. Regardless of what your need is, God is a God that likes to do good things. This is why He's offered this in the Scripture for you. Praise God.